Welcome to this Sunday morning session at Grace Point. My name is Dave Johnson, one of the elders. Before Gary's message, I would like to update you on what has transpired over the last two weeks. On Sunday, February 21st, Gary was taken by ambulance to Columbia Basin Hospital and then transferred to North Central Washington Hospital with the possibility of a stroke. The tests were negative. Throughout the week, it wasn't a stroke. We found out it wasn't a stroke, but it was brain cancer. Thursday, there was a biopsy taken. Gary came home late Friday to wait for the results of the biopsy. At this time, both Lacey and Angela, their daughters, are with them. How did Gary preach on the 21st, 28th, and this morning on the 7th of March? His sermons are pre-recorded, usually the Wednesday before the Sunday sermon. He had pre-recorded the sermons for the 28th and the 7th because they were planning on a trip to Montana to celebrate grandson's birthday. This morning's sermon is from Philippians 3, 12 to 16. The next two Sundays, the 14th and the 21st, the sermons will be pre-recorded by a local guest pastor. The Knox have appreciated your prayers and communication. You can text, email, send cards, or call. You can go on Caring Bridge as Lacey and Angela will keep us updated. Call the church office and our professional assistant, Maddie Moore, can help you out or you can call one of the elders. Also look for the text from the church office for updates. At this time, because of COVID, Gary and Don refer no visitors. Before Gary preaches, let me pray and then encourage you with two verses from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you you're the great physician. We thank you that you know all things ahead of time. You know that this is something that doesn't come unexpected to you. We lift up Gary and we pray for healing. We lift up Dawn as she, as, as she just uh, comforts Gary. And uh, we just pray for our congregation as we uh, just, uh, just really uh, are praying and uh, trying to communicate and to encourage uh, Gary and Don at this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, by petition and prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Welcome to this session with Grace Point Church as we continue our study through the letter of Philippians. I'd invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the little book of Philippians in the New Testament. <clears throat> I want to welcome our church family as well as any guests who have found us here today. We are glad you are with us here today. I was reading about a study uh, that was done and recorded in the book called The Social Animal, uh, where they talked about long-term commitment and discipline in life. And they used the example of a study that was done of 157 randomly selected children, grade school children, as they uh, determined to pick out an instrument, a musical instrument, to learn how to play it. And some <clears throat> went out to become and went on to become quite good musicians, and others faltered and didn't, didn't finish in that course. Uh, but uh, they ask a fundamental question, and they realized 
It wasn't because of these children's intelligent quotient was not a good predictor of their success in playing a musical instrument. Uh, neither were their oral, oral skills or hearing, math skills, uh, income, any sense of rhythm. Those were not good indicators. And so the researchers found out that the best single predictor of this children's success or failure in playing music was they'd asked the students, even before they selected their instruments, quote, how long do you think you will play? How long do you think you will play? The students who planned to play for just a short time did not become very proficient. The students who planned to play for a short time uh, did not become very proficient. The students who planned to play for a few years had modest success. But then there were those children who said, in effect, I want to be a musician. I want to play this, mu this uh, instrument for my whole life. And it seems to be that those children soared in learning how to be a musician and sticking with it and being disciplined to learn how to play that instrument. You know, <clears throat> growing in the Christian life is uh, an approach that is very similar uh, in discipleship, has a similar attitude to those children and their attitudes about playing an instrument. You know, when we decide that, I, yes, I do want to follow Jesus, uh, we're going to follow him our whole lives, that makes a big difference. We all know people, I think, who have a flash experience and a zenith of great uh, zeal, and then they falter and fade away. Uh, Christians may stumble in the Christian life. Obviously, the Bible uh, affirms that. Uh, but in the long haul, uh, they will soar, if you will, and they have the discipline. Uh, and it sounds strange to us in our day and age when it's all about self-esteem and how we're supposed to build ourselves up and feel good about ourselves. And one of the great tests of the Christian life of genuine faith is, do you have a hunger for the Word of God? Do you have a hunger to know Jesus? Even the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.12 that he had not laid hold of everything yet, even though he was growing in his faith. And one of the things about uh, revival in the Christian heart and the Christian life is if we're complacent, we will never experience the type of revival in spiritual life that perhaps we desire and see others have. If you take your copy of Scripture and turn to the letter of Philippians again, and uh, we will read this passage we're going to cover today. We are making our journey through this. Uh, but our passage today is chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And the Apostle Paul has just gotten done. Uh, he is in the midst of warning the church at Philippi about false teachers. And uh, he has gotten done, just finished up talking about his own uh, activities in life and how, of all people, he could brag about how spiritual he was as a Pharisee and a Hebrew of Hebrews. And uh, he was just, he could have done that, but he counted all those things lost. In verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And in fact, he not only counts them as lost, but he counts them as rubbish, if you will. All those good works, what we would call good works. And then in verse 10, he, he says that I'm, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, speaking of Jesus Christ. And the fellowship 
of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that my, I may attend to the resurrection of the dead, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And then verses 12 through 16, the passage we will look at today, he goes on to, to write to the church at Philippi, not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which was also laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let us therefore, as many are as perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal, reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture that you've given to us today. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that you give my uh, just the right words to say. And Lord, as we explain this passage and as we go through what the Apostle Paul is communicating to us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide and our comforter. And we thank you for this day of life and thank you for blessing us with life. In Jesus' powerful name, I pray, amen and amen. Uh, remember, I need to remind you that uh, all scripture is written for us, but not all of it is written to us. And so we see here that we can read the letter to the Philippians and it is addressed, addressed back in chapter 1, verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now a saint is one set apart under the holiness of God. They're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is a, a synonym for a believer, a Christian. And so this letter is written to those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have believed in him for eternal life. Uh, so we can gain much from this letter. But remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to them in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for a greater progress of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember his circumstances. He was imprisoned in Rome and uh, he did, had a very uncertain future, didn't know what was going to happen to him. And uh, he didn't have freedom to come and go. And so he's writing to the church at Philippi. They had sent Epaphroditus to him with a gift. Timothy was with him. And so he's writing to them to thank them, to encourage them, and to let them know what it means to live the Christian life. Remember, <clears throat> back in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 27, where we find the first command in this letter, he writes, Only conduct yourselves with the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's talking about our conduct, our living, but he's reminding them that his circumstances have turned out for a greater progress of the gospel, his happenings, if you will. And so in this, in this uh, little letter, we see that uh, he encourages us later on here in <clears throat> verse 28 or 27 that uh, whatever happens, stand firm. Stand firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together to be unified. He's talking to the church, encouraging them for unity. And in chapter 2, he talks about the basis of our unity, the actions of our unity, an example of unity. And then he talks about Jesus Christ himself in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
and he uses that great passage of describing how Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, set aside his deity and his glory and came to earth as a, as a man. And he is the perfect God-man. And then he talks about his own following of Jesus Christ and his own humility and encourages us to do all things without grumbling or disputing. At the end of chapter 2, he uses Timothy and Epaphroditus. He uses them as examples of what it means to have a humble mind, what it means to be submissive to God's will. And then chapter 3, we've started that, and he's warning them all through this chapter to beware of false teachers. Notice in verse 2, beware, beware, beware of the dogs, the evil workers, and the false circumcision. In other words, the mutilators, ones who would try to enslave Christians and make them doubt their salvation or make them Jewish when they just needed to be following Jesus Christ. And so then he uses his own example, like I said before, of his own good works, his own history. You know, by all human standards, he had it made. He was a very spiritual, upright person, and yet he counted all that but loss when he knew, came to know Christ as Savior. And so when he says, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead in verse 11. And so we come there and we see that, uh, that he uses that term press on twice in verse 12 and verse 14. Whatever happens, press on. And, that word press on is very interesting. It means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. It's that idea, not only are we to stand firm in chapter one, but we are to press on, we are to run swiftly. It was used both to describe hunting and athletics. In the hunting world, it was like pursuing game, stalking it with a relentlessness. In athletics, it mean, means to run so as to have a victory. So how do we press on? Whatever happens, our circumstances in life, and for many of us, our circumstances are very difficult. And so how does it mean to press on in this? The first thing we find in verse 12 and the first part of verse 13, and it's about anticipation pressing on with anticipation. And my question is, what do you anticipate in your life? In other words, whether you're 15 or 85, you're still living, you're breathing, what are you anticipating? What are you looking forward to? What is the anticipation? In verse 12, we see the Apostle Paul telling us to press on with anticipation, and that anticipation causes self-evaluation. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it, I've already become perfect, but I press on. I press on. He's evaluating his own situation, his own spiritual life. You know, the Apostle Paul, by this time, this was written about 62 AD, his salvation experience had happened some 30 years before. So he had been an apostle, a missionary, a Christian for these 30 years before he wrote the book of Philippians. Uh, he had won many spiritual battles in that time. He had suffered much persecution in that time. He'd grown in those years. Uh, but he candidly confessed that he had not obtained all of this or been made perfect. And the word perfect there, we think of perfect as perfection. But what uh, Paul is communicating to us, he's not yet completely mature. 
we don't reach sinless perfection in this life. He still had more spiritual heights to climb. And this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul here reminding the believers in Philippi. And it serves to remind you and I today what a wonderful thing God brought his word in our language, heart language here today. It reminds us that we, there must never be a, a stalemate in our spiritual life or our spiritual growth and not any plateaus in which we are not concerned about continuing on growing. Complacency is a antidote to revival. If you want your heart revived in a day-to-day -day basis uh, to grow in Christ, we need to anticipate and really self-evaluate where we're at. That's how we press on with anticipation. And the first part of 13, anticipation is the catalyst for progress. Look again at verse 12. He says, not that I have obtained it already or become perfect, uh, but I press on so that I may lay hold of which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Uh, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet in verse 13. So anticipation causes self-evaluation. How is your walk with Jesus Christ? How is your prayer life? How is your thinking about what Christ is doing in your life? Uh, it's, it's this idea of there's a catalyst for pro progress. Not only does it cause self-evaluation, but there's a catalyst for progress. Uh, the, it comes out of the Old Testament, really. You think of Psalm 42, the first part of Psalm 42, where the psalmist there uses an image of a deer panting for water. Uh, when you're very thirsty, you're panting like an animal pants for water. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for thee, O God, the living God. And that's the picture of uh, having that desire. It's an inbuilt desire as a believer in Jesus Christ. So the first thing we're pressing on is we live with anticipation. We know that God is doing wonderful things in our life. God is not restrained by a pandemic or by politics. He's not even restrained by national borders or dictators. He is working through his people, in his people, around the world, including you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So pressing on, <clears throat> excuse me, pressing on with anticipation. Then secondly, the second part of verse 13, if you look there, we press on. Pursue this with focus, with focus. And we focus in purpose. Look at verse, the uh, <clears throat> second part of verse 13. I do, got, do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do. There's this idea of planned neglect. I mean, there's all sorts of things we can give ourselves to in our time and our talents and our energy. Uh, lots of good things we can give ourselves to, and yet what do we plan to neglect because we can't do it all? Uh, Dwight L. Moody, evangelist from the late 1800s, he made a decision after the great Chicago fire. Remember, he was an evangelist in Chicago, had a great impact there. And he made a decision after the Chicago fire to devote his efforts to telling others about Jesus Christ, to evangelism alone. You know, before that, he'd been involved in great Sunday school movements and promotions, uh, YMCA work, evangelistic meetings, and many, many other activities in the community in that city. But he realized the Christian life 
should be like a sword with one point, not like a broom that ends in many straws. And so such a single purpose forgets the past and reaches for the future and presses on. There is no time or place for side issues in the Christian life, diversions to the right or the left. There's no, uh, no way that if you're a runner in a race, it doesn't help you or do any good to look behind you. You got to keep your eyes focused, focused on the finish line. And uh, that's the idea of plan neglect. So focused in purpose. What is your purpose? What is God calling you to do? It may be serving in a, a local church, serving in your community in a way, serving in your own family. Uh, many, many avenues. You don't have to become a, a vocational pastor or missionary, but you can serve where God has called you to in your workplace, in your family, and in, in your school. So focused on purpose. Secondly, press on with focus in power. This one thing I do. Isn't that interesting? This one thing I do. And that is concentration. Concentration. I was thinking about uh, the Columbia River and what we've done is we've concentrated the power of that flow of that river because of the hydroelectric dams and we've concentrated it and produced the electrical power that we enjoy here. It's uh, concentration is the secret of power here. And it's focused on purpose. We press on by being focused in the power of what Christ has called us to. So to press on in anticipation with a focus. And thirdly, press on with direction. Look at the third part of verse uh, 13. He says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Uh, there's a direction with purpose. We're moving in a direction, forgetting that what lies behind. Uh, what that means is all of us have memories, and some are bad memories, some are good memories, some are neutral memories, uh, but it's difficult to forget things that went before, right? But that's not what he means here. He's meaning that we're no longer influenced or affected by those memories. Uh, you know, when God promises <clears throat> in Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. He's not suggesting that he suddenly has a memory lapse and he's conveniently forgetting all of the bad memory, memories and things that have happened. That is impossible with God who knows all things. God is saying, and get, be very careful and understand this, God is saying, I will no longer hold their sins against them. Their sins can no longer affect their standing with me or my influence, my attitude towards them. He has saved us, no longer influenced or, or affected by. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. Remember earlier in this chapter, he talks about all the glorious attainments he had as a Hebrew of Hebrews in, in the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, you know, it's really, we think in terms of past, present, and future, but the future should really be the first. It should be the future affects our present, which, uh, which illustrates or uh, determines our past. Our flow should be from the uh, future to the present and give us a perspective on our past. And so we press on with direction. We press on with a purpose. We press on with a focus. Uh, you've probably heard the story about the Spanish conquistador 
uh, <clears throat> Hernando Cortez when he arrived in Mexico. He had an army of 700 men, and it was for the conquest of Mexico. And uh, Cortez had a plan. He had a focus. He had a direction. And when his men were all on shore, he set fire to all 11 ships. And uh, he didn't have any bridges to burn behind him, but he did have ships. And uh, his men on the shore watched in disbelief as uh, their only means of retreat back to their native land uh, was sank to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. And with that option removed, they had only direction to move. And that was forward into the future, into the Mexican interior to meet what might ever come their way. The small force of men was now dependent on following their leader and doing what lay, lay ahead without the option of turning back. And so the question is for you and for me too, am I resolved to do whatever it costs to follow Jesus Christ? Whatever it costs, will you pay the price? That's the question. Even if it means burning bridges or ships, why would anyone not want to follow Jesus, the most compelling figure in all of history? So we are no longer influenced by or affected by what lies behind. Uh, we break the power of the past by looking to the future. We cannot change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past when we see God's hand in our lives. So direction with a purpose, pressing on in a direction with a purpose. Secondly, direction with a goal, reaching for that, verse 13, forward to what lies ahead, reaching forward to what lies ahead. You know, that is an athletic metaphor here, and it means like straining with every fiber of your being for the finish line. It's the race. It's not looking behind you, but it's looking forward. And we cannot race by looking backwards. And the things which are uh, behind us must be put aside. And what lies ahead is what is important. Tony Campalo writes that as important as your past is, we all have a past. We all have a history. Uh, as important as it is, it's not as important as the way you see your future. Anticipation, focus, direction. And fourthly, the fourth way to press on is with endurance or drive, with endurance. Look at verse 14. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We, we are determined to reach the goal. This is the second time he uses that same word that's translated, press on. And he says, whatever happens, press on. Verse 12, verse 14, I press on toward the goal. It's an intense endeavor. It's an athletic endeavor, which takes intensity and endurance. The goal is the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Herb Kahn was a, a columnist in the San Francisco Chronicle, and he writes that every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up, and it knows that it has to run faster than the fastest lion, or it will be killed. And every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up, and it knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running, right? Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote likewise, If you're not seeking the Lord, the devil is seeking you. If you're not seeking the Lord, judgment lie at your heels. And of course, in the Christian life, we are secure in our salvation, but 
There is this idea of living the Christian life with endurance, with direction, with <clears throat> uh, focus, and with just that attitude, determined to reach the prize. In the second part of verse 14, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We will be rewarded the success of our result of taking hold in verse 12. Uh, you know, and there's two extremes to be, in, to be avoided here. Uh, living the Christian life, remember we're talking about sanctification, being set apart unto the holiness of God, where we are being saved from the very power of sin. It's a present tense in this life. We're looking forward to our glorification when we see Jesus face to face, where we will be saved from the very presence of sin. But in the meantime, uh, you know, the Christian life, and there's all sorts of books about the spiritual life, about the Christian life. But when we look at Scripture, we know that there are two extremes to be avoided. And uh, the first extreme is, I've got to do it all. In my flesh, I've got to do it all. Or the second one is, uh, God's going to do it all. You know, it's that old let God, let go and let God philosophy in the Christian life. Well, those are two extremes which are not biblical. I was thinking about the Super Bowl and, uh, and Tom Brady, uh, the quarterback, and uh, what were they, Tampa, Tampa Bay Bucks. And I think of that, and I don't think the quarterback, Tom Brady, told his team when they took the field that don't worry about this, the coach is going to take care of it all. You don't have to do anything, the coach is going to do it. And likewise, he didn't tell them, well, ignore the coach and just do what you want out here. No, there was a synergy, there was a, a plan in this, and we don't want to let go and do it and let go and let God, and we also don't have to do it all by ourselves because God has given us His Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us for the Christian life. And so we are in, in a place where God cares for us. He's given us instruction in, these, in this application of how to live the Christian life in Philippians. You know, troubling as it may seem, there are many Christians who I would call Christaholics. Uh, they're not really disciples. Disciples are cross-bearers. They seek Christ. Christaholics seek happiness. Disciples dare to discipline themselves, and the demands they place on themselves leave them enjoying the happiness of their growth. Christaholics are escapists looking for a shortcut to nirvana. Like drug addicts, they're trying to get out of a very depressing world somehow. But there is no automatic joy. Christ is not a magic pill, but he is the way to the Father, and the way to the Father it's not a carnival ride that's called the Christian life where we sit and do nothing, but we are whisked through. Uh, we're not whisked through some spiritual sensations, but we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So we press on in anticipation, focus, direction, endurance. And now the fifth one, then the final one in verses 15 and 16. Press on with discipline. Press on with discipline. We have a disciplined attitude in verse 15, and verse 16, a disciplined life. Look at verse 15. Let us therefore, as many are as perfect, have as this attitude, that if anything you if, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will, uh, <clears throat> God will reveal that also to you. So disciplined attitude, we talked about attitudes of our mind, and then how we think, and then how we act. 
And so he's talking about a disciplined attitude. We press on with discipline and what disciplines our attitude is feeding on the word of God, the same word of God work in us. And then it go, works out in real life, putting into practice what we already know in verse 16. Uh, we uses that term perfect again as many as mature as we're maturing in the Christian life growing in the Christian life you know uh, Bible history is filled with people who began the race with great success but failed in the end because they disregarded God's will for their lives uh, we think about pressing on with anticipation and pressing on with focus, pressing on with direction, pressing on with endurance, pressing on with with uh, discipline. But we look at Scripture, and I think I've told you before that if you do a Bible study, uh, most of the men who failed, failed in the last half of their lives in walking the Christian life. And we see in uh, in Bible history, we think of Lot who had so much going for him that he lost sight of the goal. Samson in Judges 16, who judged Israel for 20 years, preferred, preferred to embrace the harlot and was disqualified from the race, blind and bound. Saul in 1 Samuel 28, who was Israel's first king, who God uh, later rejected because of his disobedience. Jonah, remember Jonah, the reluctant prophet, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, who lied to God because of their greed. But we also have very positive examples and encouragement of people who ran the race well. Think of Joseph in Genesis, who pressed on despite unfair circumstances, keeping his faith and his hope firmly fixed on God. Daniel, who maintained a, de and a de determined attitude in a foreign land in captivity. John Mark, who uh, stumbled uh, momentarily, but later distinguished himself as Paul's helper. And Moses, whom God, in spite of his early failures, what an example of someone who pressed onto the race in faithfulness. You know, this passage in Philippians is just personally one of my favorites. Uh, it's very meaningful to me because it was a theme passage as we packed up our family in Montana and said goodbye to family and friends and church family. We moved to Dallas to go to seminary. And then after we completed that task there and God in his faithfulness did that, then uh, we were available to his plan to go to a church in the upper Midwest. And then 22 years ago, he brought us here. And uh, I'm still in the process, believe it or not. I don't, have it, uh, I don't have it all put together yet. We are still all maturing. But many Christians tend to drift in their pursuit of Christ, not uh, because they couldn't forget yesterday's glory and pain, not because they couldn't focus on uh, tomorrow's challenging opportunities, uh, but not because they didn't have the right attitude, because they're in the race alone and they're not getting the encouragement they need. You know, the Apostle Paul was an incredible individual, very focused. But do you think he could have endured all of his adversities and still relentlessly pursued Christ uh, if he'd been alone in all those years of traveling the world? It is doubtful. He was human, just like the rest of us. And God supplied other Christians along the way to encourage him and uphold him. Paul needed Timothy and Epaphroditus, just like we need, in order to run the race and not drop out before it was over. Uh, when our youngest daughter was in high school, she 
ran track and field and we would go to the track meets and as these runners would come around in her team and relay team and as she would run we would cheer her on and cheer her on and uphold her in that and so this week stop for a moment and think who is the one who is helping you when you get winded and tired who is there to help a better question is who are you encouraging in the race of life in the spiritual life who are you encouraging is you, they run this marathon for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, St. Augustine once wrote of God, Thou hast made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless instil, until they rest in thee. The deep relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ is the deepest desire locked up in every human heart, in every person. Focus entirely upon knowing Him and fulfilling His will for your life, and that's the greatest joy you can find in all the world. Amen and amen. Go in God's grace and have a great week.